You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well... That's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. You love them, you hate them, and you can't stop talking about them. Announcers, analysts, pundits, they're all fair game. It's Sports Media Mayhem with Alex Reamer. Time to let it rip. Hello, everybody, and welcome into episode number four of the Sports Media Mayhem podcast. My name, as you heard in our incredible open, is Alex Streamer. It's great to be here with you this week. Since you can hear my voice, you know that I survived Fourth of July week in Provincetown. And also, as of now, I am monkeypox free. So hooray for me. Uh, but as I mentioned, great to be back with you all here this week. And even better that we have a really juicy media story to dive into. So here's how it's going to work this week. Uh, I'm recording... A reaction pod, as we call it in the biz, to be out here today, Tuesday, and then Wednesday, posting the full show, conversations with NBA insider Sean Devaney, New York Post media reporter Ryan Glass-Spiegel, two great guys to have on this week because of this big Adam Schefter profile in the Washington Post that I want to kick off with right now. And, you know, I call myself like a media geek, but this is really one of those instances where I'm like, oh my God, this story is insane. There's so much stuff in here. I got to record a podcast about this. I mean, you know, that, that's a thought that most people undergo on a daily basis, right? Like they read a, a, a great, juicy Adam Schefter feature story in the Washington Post, and they want to get out there and, and record a podcast, right? That, that's well-adjusted human behavior, correct? Yeah, I, I think so too. Uh, but this Schefter piece in the WAPO comes out Tuesday. It's titled, The Power and Peril of Being Adam Schefter, The Ultimate NFL Insider. It's written by Ben Strauss. And this piece is really interesting and newsworthy for a couple of reasons. Number one, it's an in-depth look at Adam Schefter, who is the pioneer of this whole insider phenomenon. I mean, he covers the most successful league on the biggest sports network. He's by far the biggest sports reporter going today. So anything that gives us a real insight into how Adam Schefter operates day to day and conducts his business is a piece worth talking about if you're interested in this sort of thing. And number two, and I think this is even, uh, this is a much bigger picture kind of thing, and thus I think even more interesting than that, is I mentioned Schefter really started this whole insider phenomenon. We have Woj and Shams in the NBA, Passing in baseball, Rap Sheet, and a million others in the NFL. Every sport has several of them. It's, it, it is the thing in sports media, sports journalism today. And with all these insiders and all the scoops that they're constantly tweeting out, uh, there are a lot of ethical questions that get raised. And frankly, I don't think it's a good trend for the business overall. Not one bit. And, you know, let me just say, I I do not expect to win a Pulitzer Prize in my professional life, though. I don't know. I mean, that blog I wrote the other day about 
Mac Jones looking absolutely jacked. I think that could be a contender this year. But in all seriousness, I'm just a guy who loves this stuff, has a podcast, loves to yap about it. So I'm not holding myself up as this beacon of journalistic integrity either. All right, all you Twitter trolls, you happy now? There's my disclaimer. But okay, on to the story. Now, this story comes out in an especially critical time, an important time, because Adam Schefter has found himself in the news for the wrong reasons as of late. Uh, he's had, He had really a trio of embarrassing scandals over the last NFL season. The first one were <clears throat> the embarrassing emails he had with Bruce Allen, the former president of the Washington football team uh, during the NFL lockouts the last decade. Schefter was reporting on the story. He sent Allen over an entire article before it was published and obsequiously called him Mr. Editor. You know, we take a look at this, Mr. Editor. Everything seemed right, Mr. Editor, which violates every rule that you learn in like an intro to journalism class, right? You not only send a source a full story, you'd only ask that source to then issue corrections to the story, but you call that source Mr. Editor. I mean, that is like, that is cartoonish stuff. So that comes out in October. Then in November, uh, Adam Schefter reports only one side of the domestic violence case involving Vikings running back Dalvin Cook. Uh, Schefter tweeted that Cook was accusing a woman of domestic violence, where, again, he did not include the other side of the story, such as that the woman was actually suing Cook. And the woman was Cook's ex-girlfriend. And the woman says Cook was abusive. So, yep, that's a big swing and a miss. And then just a few months ago, uh, Adam Schefter had this doozy of a tweet about Deshaun Watson when a grand jury failed to indict him with criminal charges. And of course, Watson has been subject to 24 different sexual misconduct suits. Uh, Schefter wrote this after the grand jury didn't indict. This is why Deshaun Watson, from the beginning, welcomed a police investigation. He felt he knew that the truth would come out. And today, a grand jury did not charge him on any of the criminal complaints. Like, let's pound our chest and let's go to Sean Watson, right? I mean, he welcomed a police investigation because he knew the truth would come out. I mean, that, I mean, Watson can't even hire representation as good as that. My goodness. And Schefter did it all for free. So the article does mention the blowback that Schefter has, re- has received internally for these high-profile blunders about very high-profile and serious issues, especially the Dalvin Cook report. Here's what one ESPN personality told The Post. Schefter is your preeminent journalist for the preeminent sport in America. I would hope that as a network you're embarrassed by that, but I'm blown away that ESPN doesn't seem to care. And that's a great quote because it shows you that there is a lot of pushback to Schefter in the ESPN offices and to a lot of this laissez-faire style of reporting, especially as it comes to serious issues involving domestic violence, sexual misconduct, crimes being committed. And that's the thing, right? These insiders, all these scoops are ephemeral. So-and-so signs a contract extension. So-and-so is getting traded. This team is moving up for this draft pick. And if you get a small detail wrong there, 
who really cares, right? I mean, we all know that every contract that's tweeted out at the start of NFL free agency is completely bogus and fed to Schefter and all these guys by the agents, but it doesn't matter because what's the difference? You tweet out a guy's going to get paid $110 million, winds up that only like 60, 65 is guaranteed. I mean, who really gives a crap, right? So-and-so signs with this team. Great. That's a scoop. But when you're reporting about things like domestic violence cases and you only include the man's side of the story, like Schefter did with Dalvin Cook, and just spin what his agent told you, not about a contract, but about domestic violence, uh, yeah, your stakes are a lot higher in the latter scenario. There's a big difference there. And look, you know, as I said, Schefter is an amazing scoop generator. I mean, as far as insiders go, he revolutionized the game. And there is a lot of skill in cultivating relationships, right? I mean, it might be easier for Shifter now since he has 10 plus million Twitter followers, the biggest platform that any sports journalist could want. But he started out with zero Twitter followers, just like everybody else. I mean, this article had something that I didn't know, how Adam Schefter actually got started in the whole journalism game. He uh, found the phone. Now, he was doing a research project with Mitch Album, the uh, legendary and I would say legendary curmudgeonly as well, uh, Detroit sports writer. Mitch Album was writing a book on the Fab Five, and Schefter, I said, was his research assistant. And Mitch Album asked if he could track down Jalen Rose's estranged father, who even Jalen Rose himself had never met or had no contact information for. And Schefter got the guy's number. He got Jalen Rose's estranged dad's number. So no doubt about it. Serious reporting chops. Serious personal chops, too. I mean, again, it's probably easier for him now, but at the start of this, Schefter was one of a million, and yet he was the one who got to Mike Shanahan when he was covering the Broncos. He was the one who Bill Belichick thought was a trustworthy reporter, as we also learned in this profile. I mean, you don't become Adam Schefter without being really, really good at massaging relationships and trading information, getting information. So... I'm not taking anything away there. That is a job that I could never even conceive doing because I am not on 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It says that Schefter tries to reply to every text message within seconds. Uh, You know, if you ask me how my day is going, I might take a couple hours. So, I mean, I'm not saying props to Schefter. No doubt about it. He's the best at what he does. But that begs the question, what exactly does Schefter do? He's clearly not a journalist, and I would even hesitate to call him a reporter. That's why I say insider or scoop generator. And you can tell that Schefter is not an actual reporter or journalist by the following paragraph. Schefter has grown famous among some in the NFL orbit for his holiday gifts. He has a list of 150 recipients who receive, depending on the year, Vineyard Vines ties, or scotch, or chocolate, or ice cream. They mostly go to sources, but also to some ESPN co-workers. One year, he spent $16,000 on chocolate. (laughs) That's a lot of chocolate. He writes off the gifts as a business expense. I mean, right there, again, obviously, all reporters generate relationships with sources. It's human nature. People talk to people who they like and trust. But $16,000 worth of chocolate, that crosses the line from professional 
too very personal. And if Adam Schefter is giving me every year for the holidays a Vineyard Vines tie or expensive chocolates or expensive bottle of scotch, I know that he's probably never going to report anything negative about me. He's never going to tweet anything that I don't already want out there. And here's the thing with Schefter and why I've always separated him and all these insiders from actual journalists. They will never report anything. Or I shouldn't say never. How about this? They will seldom report anything that won't eventually wind up in a press release anyway. The mark of a real journalist is reporting stuff that won't end up in a team's press release. And there you have it. And that, if I were to summarize my feelings on Schefter and this whole insider genre, this whole insider phenomenon, that's it. They will almost never report something that a team or a player or an agent won't release anyway. True reporters report stuff that teams and players don't want out there. So there you go. There's a big difference between the two. And the piece also talks about this toxic culture at ESPN. Uh, Seth Markman, who oversees all the NFL studio shows, used to give out points to reporters based on scoops. This got so sad and desperate that Ian Rappaport uh, once went through Markman's math because Sports Illustrated did a feature story about this. It had that anecdote about how Seth Markman ranks all the NFL insiders by scoops. So Ian Rappaport reads that story, goes through Markman's math, and believed that the tally had not given him proper credit, and he sought a correction from Sports Illustrated. I mean, that shows you the prioritization that's put on these fleeting scoops. They're here one second, gone the next. And yet Ian Rappaport is demanding a correction from Sports Illustrated. Because he feels like his scoop counter wasn't accurate. It's crazy. But I see why they obsess over it if this is what they're being solely judged by. And it totally prioritizes the wrong thing, right? I mean, isn't a well-sourced story that tells all sides and has some real staying power, isn't that more valuable in the long term than Aaron Donald's signs contract extension or... Tyreek Hill traded to Dolphins or Patriots, uh, you know, Patriots hire Joe Judge. I mean, and I think those three definitely on the same part of each other, right? Patriots hiring Joe Judge, same level of uh, excitement as the Dolphins trading for Tyreek Hill or the Rams extending Aaron Donald, right? But you see what I'm getting at? I mean, from my vantage point, I'd much rather have a reporter or reporters who spend a couple days on a story like the Minneapolis Star Tribune did, and report both sides of the Dalvin Cook domestic violence case rather than having insiders just firing off these ephemeral tweets that are here one second, gone the next. And I said, you know, Schefter's the pioneer. There are tons of others. Shams in the NBA really stands out to me. Shams Karania as the, the epitome of an insider, somebody who I think obviously gets great scoops, and he hustles and works his ass off. But someone who I really think should just kind of stick to the transaction page 
And there was a story last year that Shams wrote, and it's cited in this Washington Post article in which he wrote that Kyrie Irving's decision to not receive a COVID vaccine was an effort to, quote, be a voice for the voiceless. <laughs> I mean, anybody with even an inch of critical thinking ability would look at that quote and just laugh whoever told you it off the phone. <laughs> I mean, that is, talk about a self-aggrandizing, just absurd thing to say. But Shams hears it and then puts it out there. I mean, again, just stick to the transaction page. And I guess that would be my final message here in bottom line. Obviously, there is such a premium on information. ESPN is paying Schefter $9 million a year. As Seth Markman also explains in the article, Schefter's scoops can generate entire days of programming. That is immensely valuable for a platform like ESPN that constantly needs a churn of information to keep all the shows running. So Adam Schefter breaks 17 things in a day. Those are 17 topics, NFL topics, that ESPN can now chew over anytime, any day of the week. So totally get how valuable that is. But please, for the sake of all of us, and really just for the sake of your credibility, Stay out of stuff that doesn't involve trades or free agent signings or draft picks. Really, because it's just domestic violence, sexual assault, actual crimes being committed. This stuff is just too serious to parrot what an agent says. And I think Schefter has gone through a tough year. I think we'll probably see him stay in his lane a little more, but that would be my takeaway as well. The insiders are here to stay, whether you love them or not, but stick to the transaction page. All right, enough out of me. Coming up next, you'll hear my conversations with Sean Devaney, NBA insider. There you go. So very uh, appropriate guy to talk to today. And Ryan glass with the New York Post. That's coming up on the other side. Thank you as always for listening. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. And welcome back to the podcast. As I uh, mentioned in the opening, very apropos to have uh, Sean Devaney on today because I spent uh, the first part of the show, Sean, talking about this uh, Washington Post Adam Schefter story. I don't know if you've read it today, but that very interesting feature about the whole insider culture and how it all goes. They call him a cyborg. It certainly seems like he is, given that he doesn't appear to ever sleep, you know. <laughs> that's, that's, that's true. And, and uh, you know, we've got a couple of those in the NBA as well. It's been interesting to see how... Uh, that part of the reporting culture has developed over the years here. Yeah, yeah. So Sean Devaney, great to have you on, man. You can read him at heavy.com. He's been covering the Celtics and the NBA for years. And yeah, I mean, I said you're a great guy to have on for this conversation because, you know, you first started on the NBA beat. I don't want to age you, but early 2000s, right? Um, so I was 14, yes. Prodigy, <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I can appreciate that. Um, so been at this for a while and, you know, something I've noticed is, you know, covering the Celtics, you know, for several years that I have, 
the the free agency stuff really seems to almost always, outside of like a finals run, generate more interest than the games themselves. And I think social media has a lot to do with that. All the rumors, the content has a lot to do with that. I'm just curious if that's your read on it, and if you think that the popularity of free agency has grown over the years. Oh, there's no question that that you know when you go back to um, you know 2002, 2003, around there. Um, you know, you would get obviously some of the big guys who would be covered, uh, but you really didn't have sort of the 24 uh, seven, you know, really pulling apart of, uh, of each of these potential transactions. And, uh, you know, nobody knew what a traded player exception was or anything, but now it is, it, it, it's very much, if you're a fan, um, you, you know, it's, it's, it's almost uh, uh, imperative <laughs> that you know exactly, uh, you know, how much cap space your team has and, 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 and how salary matching works in the NBA. Uh, it's pretty remarkable. You know, I mean, that was stuff I, when I first started in the job, I had to study. Uh, the NBA had people uh, sort of on hand. Joe Lipman was one uh, uh, who you could kind of call up and ask these questions to. Now you're expected to just know it. You're expected to know the ins. And sometimes there's, um, you know, general managers will call reporters for ideas on, on things that they can do with the salary cap. That's how, that's how things have changed so it's 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 obviously it's gotten a lot more complicated but it's also gotten a lot more um it's it's generated a lot more interest and 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 there's no question about that yeah and there's specialists i mean there are people who pretty much solely report on and analyze the salary cap yeah you know danny larue for 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 the athletic uh you know uh somebody i've known for a while uh you know he really uh made his bones on that um you know you see that with the draft too right i mean you know people who really just focus on the draft and just focus on uh on uh players coming in uh and uh and and how they fit and and you know once the draft is over they start on next year's draft you know they don't really they don't really follow the players once they're in the nba uh so you see that a lot um you know but but definitely sort of the 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 capology stuff you know uh, i mentioned danny uh, uh keith smith for spot track does a lot of that uh, as well, and and is very very knowledgeable on that. So uh, yeah, you do have people now who who kind of just break down what the contracts are and what they look like, and uh, you know who's got a trade kicker and things like that. Again, like that wasn't stuff that that, that we were doing uh, 10, 15 years ago, no question. Yeah, and you know to bring it back to Schefter, I remember reading a profile on him a couple of years ago where I think he said he doesn't go to the only NFL game that he ever attends in person each year is the Super Bowl. And you would say, like, at first, like, that's crazy. This guy's the lead NFL reporter and never goes to a game, is never in the locker room, but he doesn't need to be in a locker room. He talks to agents. And it's just, I think that's a great illustration of really how the business has changed. Yeah, and, and I think in his, uh, you know, that that's true. And I think in his defense, you know, um, I, I covered a little bit of NFL um, and and every time I went, I, I, I remember doing a story in Denver when he was with the Denver Post and he was all over that team. So, you know, he kind of, he, he definitely uh, paid his dues and that sort of stuff. And I think you've got to do that. I think you do need to, uh, you know, be around a team and understand sort of those inner workings uh, before you step back and do sort of the, uh, you know, the, the, the calling of the agents and, and not really going to games. Um, you know, I think in the NBA, it's a little different. You know, there, there are so many people who are at the games and, and it's a little right. more accessible uh, right. than at the end. 
the NFL. You know, you can't really grab an assistant coach at a uh, at an NFL game the way you can, uh, or a scout at uh, the, the way you can at an NBA game. So, uh, you know, I think it's there's there's definitely uh, a, a lot more use in being at the games if you're if you're covering the NBA than if you're covering uh, uh, the NFL. And the NBA is so interesting. I mean, the NFL is like this too because the players are such stars. But I feel like the NBA takes it to another level where you know Draymond Green having a podcast in real time, and you got his blow by blow recorded after each finals game and you see it happening all the time in free agency like even Jalen Brown likes a tweet about him you know being disrespected by the Celtics and it sets off a news cycle for two weeks um that to me is just such a unique aspect where the players are not just reported on they are active participants in the story themselves and are commenting on the stories themselves in real time it's it's really you know it's something even like I mean, social media, that's such an old story at this point. But, you know, this specific component of it, like a player like Draymond hosting his own podcast while he's playing, recording it immediately after final games. I feel like even like five years ago, that would have been kind of hard to conceptualize. And now that really is the norm across the world. That's a, and I think Kevin Durant is a good example of that. Of somebody who, uh, you know, probably does a little too much on social media uh, more than his team would like. But uh, uh, you know, I remember writing a story about Kevin Durant when he was a rookie. We were doing a, a package sort of on losing, and and you know, he was a guy who had won so many games and and had always been successful. Uh, but he comes in with the Sonics, uh, and and they're just getting crushed. I mean, you know, he's losing pretty much. I think they went twenty and sixty-two. Um, so just we, we, we did a story about, you know, what his view of that was, you know, and, and, and in terms of um, in terms of dealing with losing. Uh, he didn't like the story in the end. <laughs> he did. He, he was an active participant. We, 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 you know, went back and forth on a lot of stuff in the, in the end. And the way I found out he didn't like the story is like their PR person called our PR person. Right. And it went down like several chains before it finally got back to me and I wound up talking to him about it. But, uh, you know, point being that, you know, now he just reads it, pops on social media and says it, you know, there used to be this whole chain of things. And and this was, you know, this was his rookie year. So, uh, you know, we're talking 15 years ago, which seems like a lot, but it's really not. But but that's that's how drastically things have changed. And I would quote tweet you. Yes, exactly. Right, right. And say, I never said that. And not have to go through the whole thing of you know well here's the tape and here's it blah 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 but uh, uh, but yeah you know it's 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 much much different now. Well, it makes me see old days when they would just have the dreaded PR call. I mean that's now it's like pub, a public flagging almost. Yeah, um, right, right. At least the PR people would kind of you know be a, a little bit of a go between there. Now it's just uh, it's just all out there right away. And speaking of Durant, you know, like I saw this unfold a couple of weeks ago, and I'm very curious to get your take on this. So I think it was. The day before free agency, so I guess June 30th, right? Yeah, June 30th, right? We get the report from Shams. Kevin Durant wants out of Brooklyn. Then Woj follows a minute later, same report, and then follows up like a minute after that with here are the you know three teams that Durant you know wants to be traded to. You know th- those, these are his preferences, and it seems like I mean obviously this stuff didn't come about in five minutes. I'm just curious. Like, how does that timeline work where Durant and the Nets are in discussions about this? And then, like, it's like Shams tweets one thing and bam, the floodgates are open. And now everybody who's even, you know, nominally linked to the NBA is tweeting a Durant scoop or rumor. Like, how does that timeline work? 
Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it all depends on, on on how they want it to work, you know. So uh, that, that no question, came from uh, the agent. Uh, the, the Nets really didn't even know about this. You know, the, the Nets found out about mm -hmm. it when we all found out about it, which is one thing that, uh, that, 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 that angered a lot of people in that front office that, uh, you know, to be blindsided that way. You can understand that. Uh, but yeah, you know, I mean, so this was something that, that Rich Kleiman, the agent uh, for, for Kevin Durant, um, you know, had worked out, you know, we're going to do this just before the start of free agency. That'll give them some time to, uh, um, you know, as they're putting together free agency plans, they'll be able to, uh, to, to factor that in and other teams will be able to factor that. In. I think what they didn't factor in was how difficult it was going to be to actually pull off a Kevin Durant trade uh, that there aren't th that many teams that really have the assets. And, 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 and that's what we're learning now, but the initial, the initial timing that all came from the agent that all came from Durant's camp. Seems like it comes from the agent more times than not with these things. Yeah, yeah, no question. The big, the, the big stuff like that, uh, for sure. Um, you know, the thing that that happens a lot of times is you'll talk to, uh, you'll be talking to a general manager and say, hey, you know, I, I heard so and so, uh, and this and that. You know, you, you kind of get like a tip, uh, and then you go and you check with the agent because that's the person who uh, who really knows. So that's that's sort of. Uh, uh, you know how a lot of this goes. You you, you first talk to uh, to somebody who says, "Hey, I heard su such and such," and that's then then you got to go out and see if uh, uh, if you can get any confirmation. That usually uh, you'll turn to agents for that. All right, Sean. The rest of this uh, summer here, free agency. I, obviously, you're looking at Durant the rest of the way. How does that end, do you think? And also, what's the other big story that you're most interested in following and reporting on? Yeah, I mean, you know, the the, the one is Kevin Durant, and then the 1A is, is, is of course, Kyrie Irving. Uh, what happens with him? Uh, and, you know, does he wind up with the Lakers, as it seems like uh, most people in L.A. seem to want at least – the most important one, and that's LeBron James. So, uh, and and then you, you turn that story into okay, well then how does Durant, uh, uh, LeBron is able to sign uh, an extension? Will he sign an extension uh, if they don't sign? If they don't get Kyrie Irving, is that going to affect how how he approaches things? So, uh, you know, to me, the the, the Kyrie Lakers thing uh, is uh, is is probably as important a storyline uh, as what happens with Kevin Durant. Hmm. I'm sure it'll give us amazing quotes to just fester, to just ponder okay. over. Okay. I cannot wait. That'll what be can we learn next from this amazing intellect? We'll have to wait and see. Uh, Sean, always great catching up with you, man. That's Sean Devaney. You can follow him on heavy.com, Twitter, all that. Thanks, Sean. Always appreciated. Thank you, Alex. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And as I also mentioned in the opening, really great to have on Ryan Glass-Spiegel, sports media reporter for the New York Post, to talk about this crazy Adam Schefter feature and also this interminable seven-part Derek Jeter docuseries, which is coming our way. But firstly, Ryan, how are you, man? Thanks for coming on the I'm pod. I'm doing well. It's been a beautiful stretch of weather in Chicago where I live, and I'm easy. That lifts my mood. Oh, me too. Totally. Just way better when it's 80 and sunny. Is it not? I mean, Absolutely. Come on. I never thought I was like a seasonal guy because I've had some of the worst days in my life when it's been like 85 and sunny. Some of the best days when it's been freezing. But, you know, the last couple of years in particular, I don't know if it was the pandemic or whatever. 
I've been much more uh, weather dependent to my mood. I think it changes as you get older. It does? All right. Yeah, I can see that. Um, Schefter, big profile in the Washington Post. It's been a, a huge talk on media Twitter, which is generally, I think, a pretty horrible place to hang out. <laughs> there's, <laughs> there's been a lot of talk about it uh, today. I know you wrote about it for the Post as well, uh, the New York Post, that is. What is your big takeaway from the feature story? So the big takeaway, um, first of all, I really think it's like how hard he works. People right. don't necessarily realize that it's not just the hours spent tweeting or being on air. Um, there was a passage where he said that he's not like set any boundaries on what the company will ask him to do. And believe me, that company, if you don't set boundaries with them, um, they will ask you to work anytime, and he he embraces that. He um, literally sent sixteen thousand dollars of chocolate and gifts one right. year for Christmas, yeah. mostly to sources. He checks in on their wives, their kids. It's not just like, hey, give me the number on the Deshaun Watson free agency signing. It's really like a full. Um, kind of like relationship suite that he, he does in the midst of all of this work. So that was my biggest takeaway because the mistakes that they went over, those have kind of like already been well-documented to me. I know why you have to summarize them and even center them, but those to me weren't um, new intel. Yeah. I mean, there's a couple ways to go with it. I think what you said too, like there was an anecdote where Chris Mortensen was like, no, I'm not doing all Yeah. Of I'm not working on Christmas. Sorry. Like right. I have to spend it with my family and I've been in jobs where there aren't really boundaries and it's seven days a week. And I'm frankly not cut out for that. I need to have a division between work and not work or I don't work as well. And so I think like Schefter and Woj and Shams and Rappaport, those four, have like totally just allowed this to, you know, consume their entire lives. And um, I did one of these profiles on Shams. So I, I know like kind of the extent that, that it just eats away at everything, um, any type of leisure time these insiders have. And I think that's what makes them really interesting is like figuring out how they go about cultivating and keeping these sources. I think Seth Markman calls Schefter a cyborg, which is the perfect word for him, I think. I mean, I've, I've used that before in describing him. And I'm like you, Ryan. I need, you know, I might want to go to a Rage Against the Machine concert, as you may have done. <laughs> you know, like, but like Schefter can't do that. Or if he, you know, it's to me. that go in a suite and be on his two right. phones the whole time. But yeah. Yeah. To me, that would not be a very healthy way to live. So it's amazing that these guys and Schefter, he works out every day still. They are. I think freaks of nature in that way. Cause I think most people could not be plugged in 24 seven, like they are and still work out and still have families and still produce the content that they do. Right. No, I mean, I certainly could not. Um, and, and it's why, you know, you would think that there would be like seven, eight or nine big NFL insiders, given how huge the sport is. And I guess there's some, I'm not going to like name names, but there's definitely like a tier below um, Schefter and Rappaport on the scoops thing. I really like what Albert Breer does where he has, he, he's really good at predicting things that are going to happen like weeks in advance, but he may not get the like, you know, big trade or free agency right. signing first. But, um, 
yeah, you like just the um, fortitude you need to compete at this level with these people. It's just something that is foreign to most humans. If to most humans, that's a good way to put it. Um, and you know, though, I will say, like, you know, it's it's uh, this is not necessarily new ground either. But when you read about Schefter spending sixteen thousand dollars in chocolates to sources and all that, you say like this is really not journalism. This is like scoop trading. Would you agree with that? Um. Well, okay, so I I would say yeah, there hasn't been much. Um, I I don't know. I the the distinction on like journalism in sports, you you can't necessarily blame the individual reporters for it because they're competing on um, this playing field. And like one thing that the Post didn't even get into is the agencies. And so Schefter's rep by CAA. Um, Rappaport is repped by UTA. These are agencies that represent players. They represent coaches. In some cases, they represent general managers. In some cases, in sports, general managers have come from the agencies. It's all um, intertwined. But like, if it would have to be up to ESPN to draw the line and they haven't, and they, they think that like, this is the way the world is. We want um, the total package of Schefter, the content that he generates, the fact that he is vivacious on television and viewers stay there longer, allegedly when he's on um, and they gravitate towards TV after he breaks a scoop, he said, um, they want that more than they want to be, you know, um, breaking all the president's men. <laughs> right. No, exactly. And they obviously measure it, right? Schefter is the scoop machine. And when he's on, people watch longer. So they, they definitely. And the other thing is, too, he makes nine million. But the amount of content he generates, I think they Sean Mark, uh, Seth Markman, I think, put in a really a good way that, you know, it could be a slow news day, but if Schefter comes out with three, four, five NFL items. Yeah, today is very slow, but what if he broke the um, Deshaun Watson suspension? I'd actually bet that that gets broken by the NFL um, media because the league can just give it to them. But that's the other thing is, so Schefter was in um, NFL Network, and so everyone thought, oh, all your sources come from the league. He talked about this in the piece. When he was in the Broncos, he was tight with – with Mike Shanahan and everyone's like, Oh, all your sources come from Shanahan. Now people are like, Oh, all your sources come from the agents. But I think like he really just has, I don't know, hundreds, if not thousands of sources. And the, like, it would be interesting to see what type of Intel that's non-public that he gives them. So, you know, sending them chocolate or ties, like it's a nice gesture, but does Drew Rosenhaus like really in his heart of hearts be like, Oh, I'm going to give this to um, Schefter instead of Rappaport because he sent me this special chocolate. No, it's like, what, what are the insiders communicating to their sources that we're not hearing, which would be endlessly fascinating. Right. That would be great. And like you said, I mean, it really is about cultivating relationships because that's what it's all. And Schefter obviously is the best at it. And that's, that's you know, I think Rappaport is, yeah, he's definitely number two, but 
you know, Rappaport and Schefter and Woj and Shams, these are like really close races. I don't know that every day there's like a given winner or loser in them. One thing I will say, though, is, and this was covered extensively in the piece, like you said, it's been talked about before, but just like when Schefter goes out of the transaction wire, and not just him, you know, a lot of these insiders, Shams did it with Kyrie, you know, voice of the voiceless when he didn't want to get vaxxed for COVID. A lot of, it's almost like, you know, but, uh, I want to push back on the people who are whining about that in the Washington Post profile. Yeah, please go I think that accurately summarized um, Kyrie's beliefs. So when you talk about like journalism, it's about presenting um, facts that have thus far been non-public. And so I guess you can like disagree with yeah. Kyrie or agree with him that vaccine mandates are absurd, but it was, I think, actually, you know, we're complaining about like scoops and stuff that could be public anyway. But I think that was actually a nugget from Shams that was proprietary. Fair, fair, totally. But with the Schefter stuff, the Watson tweet and Dalvin Cook, certainly when you're only tweeting what the agent says about a domestic violence case, I'm almost like maybe, you know, we shouldn't just fire off every tweet like it's an ephemeral scoop, you know? So yeah, I, I, I think that that's fair. I, you know, he's apologized for them, but he's made those mistakes several times. Um, I, I understand that. That's um, It's a totally legitimate criticism of Schefter, and I think he would say that as well. But then it's just like a question of, look at how much energy we've spent on fixating on those over the last few months. Is that in proportion to like the magnitude of them? I don't know. That's like for, I guess, everybody else to decide. But yeah, he he needs to, um, I think with, with, with Twitter, he needs to, as Markman said, really lean on editors to make sure that um, something that in his mind is not um, a robotic tone and unfeeling doesn't come off that way to everybody else. What did you think about the grading system that they had at ESPN grading the insiders on scoops? I loved the nugget that Rappaport petitioned <laughs> Sports Illustrated for a correction because they were um, tilting the pinball machine, so to speak, outside of his purview. That was actually my favorite um, nugget that they uncovered in the Washington Post story. All right, Ryan, you wrote about it uh, last night, this seven-part Derek Jeter docuseries. Juicy tidbit for sure, that A-Rod interview. Jeter, not a true friend. I did love reading that. But please tell me, why does this need to be – why is this seven parts? I mean, seriously, seven parts for Derek Well, it's the summer, and ESPN <laughs> downgraded its live baseball tonnage. So – Think about like what they could be showing at nights in this time. Um, you know, they're going to be having like some MLB games on like Sundays and Wednesdays, but they don't have those Mondays anymore. Um, like the packages they got rid of went to Peacock and Apple. So they, they you know, they, they're going to be having like NBA Summer League, um, occasional MLB, WNBA, but there's not a ton of events that they could be showing at this time of year. They'd love if um, football season were longer, but it's not. And so they're kind of stuck in July and August, like, okay, how do we fill these hours? And they had great success with the Jordan documentary. I don't think anybody would um, confuse Jeter's charisma 
or popularity with Jordans, but you know, they've got a precedent for if if they show this like titillating autobiographical nostalgia footage that people will come to it. And I think that there's probably a pretty fair argument that more people will watch this than something else that they could come up with as an alternative. Yeah. I would the summer TV schedule, I think, plays nicely. And I, this also, I think you mentioned Jordan Last Dance, correct? And also the Tom Brady man in the arena thing. This seems like that definitely mirrors that format. Seven episodes for what was it? Seven championships or whatever. Like Brady had 10 episodes for his 10 Super Bowl trips. So. Yeah. Now, look, would this be better if they could get all of the same access and footage, but not leave the final say up to? Jordan, Jeter, and Brady, of course it would be, but that's not like a deal that they're able to make. You know, you can't turn 9-10 into pocket aces in poker as much as you might want to. Like, they have a hand that they're dealt, which is if they want these hours, they have to give those star athletes the final say. So star athletes could take it to Netflix or HBO or any number of different distributors for this project. And so at the end of the day, now ESPN offers them a lot more in terms of like the promotional machine than they may be able to drum up for those athletes. So it's not like ESPN is just playing a bad hand, but they don't have the um, power anymore to just say, hey, take it or leave it. Like they need these hours. Ryan, thanks for coming on, man. This was Thank great. you for having me, Alex. I appreciate it. Best of luck with all. All right, so thanks for listening to another episode of the Sports Media Mayhem Podcast, episode four, and a thanks go out to NBA reporter Sean Devaney. You can read him on heavy.com for joining me on the show, and Ryan Glass-Spiegel, who you just heard, sports media reporter for the New York Post, who is a bit more sympathetic towards Schefter and these insiders that I am, and he definitely delivers a lot of rational takes for his viewpoints on those guys. And look, there's no disputing the value of an Adam Schefter and what he brings to ESPN. As I said, he's worth $9 million per year for them because he can break four or five stories on a slow news day and it can carry the day of programming for ESPN across all of its platforms. But again, I guess I'm a little more critical than Ryan when it comes to separating the insider, the scoop trader from the journalist because I go back to what I said earlier. How often does a guy like Adam Schefter or Woj or Shams or any of these insiders how often do they report stuff that wouldn't be shared later in a press release? I think those instances are few and far between. And when they do report on things like the Dalvin Cook domestic violence situation or Deshaun Watson not getting indicted by a grand jury or the Dwayne Haskins tweet that Adam Schefter had after Haskins passed away this year, you know, pointing out that he did never reached his ability as an NFL quarterback. That's just an inappropriate, senseless thing to say. And it's something that somebody would say if they are like Schefter, working 24-7 head never getting up from the phone. And on one hand, you say these, these folks are freak of, freaks of nature for being able to do that. But then you say, well, what are, the, what are the costs of that? And I think maybe not always having the necessary perspective when reporting or commenting on those kinds of really important, actually serious stories, I think you do see some of it there. Uh, I was also happy to hear Ryan say that Derek Jeter, seven-part ESPN doc, summer filler. Hear that? Summer Filler. I can't imagine how anybody would think that Derek Jeter and his would it would be worth a seven-part documentary series. This guy is one of the most. Bl- you think Tom Brady 
is bland and vanilla. I find him infinitely more interesting than Derek Jeter. The most interesting parts about Jeter are A, his feud with A-Rod, which Ryan wrote about in New York Post the other day, uh, that infamous Esquire interview that A-Rod gave years ago in which he said that Jeter never has to lead. You don't face the Yankees and worry about Derek Jeter. That ruptured their friendship and still has affected their friendship today because Derek said in this documentary that he doesn't consider Alex to be a true friend. And you do have to wonder, you know, how much is Jeter now trying to copy Michael Jordan in the last dance? Because that line he had about A-Rod, you know, I don't consider him to be a true friend. That reminds me of the Jordan last dance line. Like, you know, I took offense to that which has gotten a lot of play. So you do think there is a lot of copycat stuff here too. But yeah, I want to know about Jeter's feud with A-Rod and I want to know about all of his exploits since he's never been married. Tell me that and I'm good. I don't need to hear about El Capitan. I don't need to hear about the Yankee mystique and the prestige. And I don't need to hear about any of that crap. I mean, are they going to have an episode about how Derek Jeter refused to not hit leadoff in his last season torpedoing the Yankees? That would be a good episode they could have on the seven-part Jeter docuseries. So something tells me that's not coming. And my last point, or on baseball, I just want to say, is there a worse analyst than A.J. Pruszynski? Seriously, the Red Sox and Yankees played on Fox this Saturday. A-Rod thinks the K-Rod cast can hide a little bit, uh, though he did have a doozy Sunday, saying that some of the worst hitters he's ever seen have the highest exit velocity. Uh, I'm not quite sure A-Rod really knows what <laughs> exit velocity means. Uh, since it's hard to imagine that the worst hitters you've ever seen could also hit the ball the hardest. But anyway, A.J. Pruszynski, he really hits the trifecta of a bad analyst, does he not? He states the obvious, you know, he's proudly ignorant about facets of the current game, and he's just arrogant. I mean, he just has a really arrogant way about him, does he not? And there's a reason why Pruszynski was voted the most disliked player in baseball by his peers in a men's journal article back when he played. Uh, it shows when he's out there calling uh, calling a game. I mean, he got nothing right. It, has he seen the Red Sox at all this season? Calling for length out of Matt Strom, who's like who's a short-inning guy. Can't pronounce Christian Vasquez's name. Verdugo is two for 21 entering the series, yet he called him the hottest hitter on the Red Sox. Just missing nuances with the, the absurd. And the worst thing, of course, was the absurd conversation with Chris Hill, uh, Chris Sale, rather, in which Pruszynski blamed the media for Sale breaking the TV in the Worcester dugout. Yeah, the media put so much pressure on you, Chris Sale, to pitch well in a rehab start. And has anybody alerted AJ Pruszynski that, uh, yeah, he's part of the media now, too? I wish he weren't. But he is. Man, uh, how, many, how, how, many, how many more of these do we have to look forward to as the summer progresses? Well, as you know, you'll have many more Sports Media Mayhem podcasts to look forward to all summer and all year long. Catch us every Wednesday, wherever you can find your favorite podcasts, Apple, Spotify, Google. You know the drill. Rate, review, download. It all helps uh, increase the show's visibility. So please do that. My name is Alex Streamer. We'll talk to you next Wednesday.